Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I want to take a minute and introduce to you Eric Willits. Eric is the rector of Holy Trinity Church in McKinney, Texas. He and his wife, Andrea, are planting a church up there, and they're friends of ours, and I'm so excited for him to preach the Word of God to us. So we want to introduce you to him uh, while Chris is away on a retreat with some of his, his brothers, friends, not uh, biological brothers. Um, but as Eric does preach, I, w- I want to make sure that you get a sense for who he is so that you can know him, pray for him, and pray for the work that he and Andrea and Jack and Reese and Soren, their three beautiful children, are doing up at McKinney. So let's pray for you, Eric. Thank you, Jim. Father, thank you so much for this, my brother. Lord, anoint him to preach your word, as you already have done, but a word in season for us tonight at St. Bartholomew's. Lord, fill him and Andrea with grace and peace and the power of your kingdom so that as they live with everything they do in word and deed, that your gospel would be proclaimed, that disciples would be made, and there would be a place of peace and beauty and refreshing in McKinney, Texas, as Eric presides there. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Jay. Well, it is good to be with you all here today. Um, My wife and I, were not Texans natively, but we've come to love the great state of Texas. We lived here for about five years, moved away for a couple years, and just got back a little, right about a year ago now, uh, to plant in McKinney. So we're excited about that. We're just beginning our work up there. That might be the first time I've ever been called a rector. So thanks, Jay. Like, you know, I'm going to try to live into that. Why not? It sounded right. It was was good. Um, But when I got back, there were a few folks that I wanted to connect with, and Jay was one of them. You all are lucky. Um, I don't know if you know that or not, but you're all lucky to have Jay. He's pretty amazing. Um, It's good for me as well to have Jay, (laughs) because I get to pick his brain. I get to hear about what you all are doing and the journey God has had you on, um, because I feel like uh, we have a pretty natural affinity with what we're hoping to do, praying to do, trying to do in McKinney with what you all have done and are doing here Um, at St. Bart's. So um, I told Jay this, but when we were selecting a name, St. 
Bartholomew's was on our top three as well. So we almost even had the same name. But alas, we decided to go with Holy Trinity McKinney. That's our name. Um, so yeah, look for us, pray for us. If you know anybody in McKinney, tell them about us. That's kind of the stage we're in. We're just about to start having weekly kind of pre-launch meetings and services, trying to get a launch team together so that we can have everything ready and be prayed up and ready to go to, to launch our church, hopefully at Easter of this coming year. So that's kind of the trajectory we feel like God has us on. We continue to pray and plan and just try to figure it all out. There's a lot to figure out when you're doing this. If you've been around here for long, you all know that. So, um, but yeah, it's great. It's great to be with y'all. So let me refresh your memory just for a second here. Jesus called the crowds again and said to them, listen to me, all of you. There's nothing outside of a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. For Anglicans, because just before those words, Jesus has said this tricky thing about tradition. I don't know if you noticed, but we might have some traditions around here, right? Like, we've got crosses, we've got robes, we've got things going on. You guys are amazingly blessed to be able to worship in a space like this that, that is steeped in some of the beauty and tradition um, that Christians have long held. Um, and as Anglicans, we, we embrace this. For those of you like myself who didn't grow up in the Anglican tradition, um, in the Anglican way of doing church, of following Jesus. It's some of these traditions that maybe have sparked your imagination and have fueled your, your minds to follow Jesus in, in new and vibrant ways. I'm an Anglican Christian because there's something about how Anglicans follow Jesus and the way that we worship and the way we, we keep him central in everything we do that was so compelling that I decided man, I just need to be a part of that family, that Anglican family of Christians. But if we let it, these verses could, could trip us up. They could be tricky for us because in these words, Jesus says that tradition, uh, be careful. He points at these folks that were trying to trip him up and he says, whoa, 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 you all, right, you have held to the tradition of man and have kind of put to the wayside the commandments of God. So we might ask, is there something about tradition that's opposed to the commandments of God? Is there something about tradition that doesn't coincide? It doesn't really come alongside of scripture like it should. Are these things against each other? You might know my answer, right? <laughs> like, no, I don't think so. And I don't think Jesus thinks so. And I don't think that's exactly what Jesus was getting at anyway. I think he was dealing in a little different conversation with the folks in his day and in his time. But there's still something that they were up to that I think we need to pay attention to. Especially as folks who love tradition who think that it's important, who feel like it actually helps and shapes our faith and discipleship. 
There's something here for us to pay attention to. And so what might that be? I want to refresh your memory as to kind of what's going on here first. So what's going on here is Jesus has come on the scene, right? We'll start from the beginning. He was born in a manger. You know that part of the story, right? So he grew up for a few years. Then he began to call some disciples, called these 12 disciples. Um, in, as he's calling the disciples, as he's starting his ministry, he proclaims, the beginning of Gospel of Mark, he proclaims that the kingdom of God is at hand. He begins to call these disciples, and they begin to follow him. And, and at least for Mark, the Gospel writer, this is like fast and frenzy. The life and the ministry of Jesus is like, and then they did this, and then they did that. I call it, it's the gospel for the ADD kids. That's what the gospel of Mark is. Um, there's tons of stories. It's the action. They're, they're going at a breakneck speed. And even just before this, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. He just walked on some water. Pretty cool. And he just was standing in this place, and people from all over the place were bringing the sick to him, and he was healing them. That, that's actually a good like, snapshot of the Gospel of Mark. This is, this is exciting. There is a lot going on here in the life of Jesus and in the ministry that he's doing and it, with these disciples that he's teaching to, to follow him and to, to essentially do what he does, be who he is. This is, the, this is what Jesus is doing with these disciples. He's raising them up in the kingdom. And then we have this pause, right? We have this pause, and the Pharisees notice something. And what do they notice? Right? We've just had 5,000 people fed. We just had Jesus walking on our We just had tons of people healed. And you have these Pharisees, these religious folks, and what do they notice? Whoa, 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 those guys aren't washing their hands. What, what's going on here? I mean... Are we talking about washing hands? I was going to go off of the, are we talking about practice? Practice, is this really practice? But I wasn't sure if anybody would get the reference, right? Anybody, Alan Iverson, right? Like he was in this interview in the media and like they're talking about, he's this amazing basketball player, played for the 76ers. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I'm ruining the analogy by having to tell you too much of the story. That's all right. So, but all the media begins to ask him about practice. This guy who's a Hall of Fame basketball player, he is like one of the best players ever. And they start asking about his work ethic at practice. And he says, practice? We're talking about practice? If I were Jesus, praise the Lord, I'm not, I could have seen myself reacting that way to the Pharisees. Practice? Are we talking about washing hands? Are we talking about washing hands? What? Fed 5,000 people. We're talking women and children. We're talking like 10, 15,000 people probably, right? He just walked on the water. He just healed people. And they want to talk about washing hands. There's something there. There's something going on here. And Mark, who is, man, he's writing about the action. He's not giving a lot of the details. And he is, he's just giving us kind of the, the highlight reel, he decides that this little story is important enough not only to tell it, but to give some like parenthetical like information, very unmarked like. And this should raise some like alarms for us. Whoa, 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 what, what's going on here? What is he saying? What's, what's the message? What is he trying to communicate here? And here's the deal, these, these Pharisees 
They say, we noticed that some, some of your disciples were not washing their hands. This is connected to very important things. This is connected to the Old Testament law, to, to purity codes, to, to being rightly ready, you could say, to, to worship God. This is important. But what you notice they didn't do is they didn't implicate Jesus in the hand-washing bit, right? I think it's fair to assume he was doing it. He was probably following the rules. He was being like a good Jew. He was doing the ceremonial cleaning when it needed to be done. He also doesn't say, all of your disciples, most likely a good number, if not most of the folks who were following him were, were doing this still. They were following these, these traditions. But Jesus, as he always does, he gets to the heart of the matter, which is the heart. And he said, you are focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on these traditions. And I, I don't think he is even wanting to say that the traditions are bad or should be put aside or like, yeah, we don't do that stuff anymore. I'm Jesus. Let me tell you why. But he essentially is saying, you guys have lost the plot. You guys are not, you're like hanging on to these traditions of man and completely putting aside the commandments of God. And so he quotes Isaiah. And this is what Isaiah says. This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching human precepts as commandments. As commandments. The text that we don't have in our lectionary passage for tonight gives a good example of how they're, they've completely lost the plot and how they're actually, they're not just holding to the tra tradition of man, but they're manipulating it that they're manipulating it. And I think that the thread that runs through this is that he notices their heart and it is bent in all kinds of wrong ways. He notices the center of who they are that can be seen by their actions that flows out of their heart and mind and says, you have lost the plot. One of the options for our reading was in Deuteronomy where it talks about God giving the commandments to the people. And, and one of the, it's, it says that the reason that the commandments were given was so that they could live, so that they could live in the land that God was gonna give them. The commandments of God were for this, this beautiful, reflecting the very heart of God kind of reason. It was so that they could live, so that they could be close to God, so that God's mission from the beginning of dwelling with humanity could be experienced. They've lost the plot. They've made it about all kinds of other things. Presumably, Jesus 
isn't the issue. His disciples, maybe they actually get it when the Pharisees absolutely do not. There's a, um, one of the things that I think is for us, maybe specifically for us Anglican Christians, um, and maybe you're on the path, maybe you're, you're thinking about Anglicanism, Anglicanism, maybe you don't identify that way, that's okay. You're here worshiping with us, we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But for Anglican Christians, one of the things that, that I found beautiful is that at our best, we kind of stick to the essentials. There's this saying that was attributed to um, Augustine, in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. At our best, Anglicans, this is sort of a mantra of ours, I think. We, we want to stick to these essentials. The church tradition that I grew up in, it was some of the non-essentials that created boundary markers. And despite the fact I was ordained, I was in that tradition, I loved that tradition, there came a point in my life where I was like, whoa, whoa, what, what's this marker? I, I'm out? I'm, you guys see me as, as like out? Because we set up these boundary markers. We do these certain things. We create these tradition. We, we put in place certain things so that people know that they're out and other people know that they're in, right? There's a, a church historian, theologian, Yerslav Pelikan, and one of the things he talks about is the three kind of layers of authority. And he says, first we have dogma. These are the things that essentially to be a Christian, you have to believe. It's the center, the center of Christian belief, what all Christians believe, dogma. The second circle is doctrine. You have these doctrines, these, these things that we believe and we put in place, but they're not as authoritative as the, as the dogma. And then you have tradition, this wider sort of source of authority that different folks have, different sorts of tradition. Um, but what happens is sometimes, whether it's our church or our tradition, or whether it's just us as Christians, we make that that dogma super wide. And in order to be a part of this, in order to be a part of this group, this, this faith tradition, this, these people, this church, all of these things are what you have to agree to, adhere to. But oftentimes what happens is we make the non-essentials essential. We make the things that are even good and holy, helpful even, we make them dogma. We make them a commandment. We wind up having this disordered view of, of things that even are good and, and important and beautiful and helpful, but we make them essential instead of helpful. We make them dogma instead of doctrine. We make them dogma instead of tradition. I think something along those lines is what's happening here. I think these guys, this hand-washing thing that at one point in time became a tradition of men based on the commandments that was helpful to, to keep the commandments and to be a part of these people, it became this thing that just funneled its way into this strict dogma that maybe it wasn't as helpful as they thought 
And we can read around some of the, the verses around this, and it's obvious that not only that, but they were taking all of this, these things and, and twisting it and manipulating, manipulating it for their own benefit. Their belief and their rules and their, their traditions, they were manipulating so that they could get away with stuff. And what Jesus notices is that all of this is that is going on is happening because they've lost the plot and their heart, their inner life has become disordered. Their inner life has skewed out of bounds. Their inner life, their mind, their heart has ceased to focus on God. They've lost the plot. There was this game that I used to play, and I was a youth pastor for a long time, and there was this game I used to play called horse pool. Anybody? No? It's probably okay. You're, you didn't miss out too much. But it's this game where you essentially you take a, a pool table, and you have to like throw the pool balls, and there's all these rules that are made up, and every time you play, there's more rules that some kid adds, and it gets messy, but eventually all these rules are known by like some, but not others, and then when you don't follow like the rules that the, the kids have made, like they kick you off the table. They're like brutal about this thing, right? I think of like all the rules in like the sports that we play and we're adding and taking away the rules all the time and it gets like messy and people fight and man, don't read any Facebook posts these days about football rules, dear Lord. Um, we get really serious about this kinds of stuff. But so often there's, there's something in the middle that is good and beautiful and and I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be found. In the middle, with my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, knowing that, that for us, the essentials, we think about the creeds, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, we think about these things as our essentials. I want that to be my plot, my plot point. I want that to set, to pave the way for me. And that all these other things, for me, in a service like this, when Jay says the word, the name Jesus, you might see me bow my head. We'll do the Sanctus in a minute, right? The holy, 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 and we'll, we'll bow. And when we come up for blessed is he, I'm going to cross myself. Guess what? You don't have to do that. But you can, right? And maybe if you do something like that, it'll start to soak in somewhere because the hope is, for, at least for me, when I do things like that, when I participate in a service like this, when Jay proclaims the gospel, the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I cross my head, my lips, and my heart, that's a prayer for me. I'm praying with my body. This tradition of doing this thing, man, you don't have, I'm not going to say you're not a Christian if you don't do that, but for me as a Christian, oh, man, that, may, that lets me pray. For me, this distracted, monkey mind kind of guy, that's my confession tonight, right? When I hear the name of Jesus in this service and I, I bow or when I cross myself or when I do these, these things that engage me in the liturgy, that's my way to dial in 
and let my heart continue to be formed by Jesus. When I come up and I receive his body and blood and I, I put my hands out and I say amen and I cry, when I do all of this stuff, for me, these beautiful embodied traditions of our liturgy and our practice are so that my inner life is on this journey of being ordered in the ways of Jesus. Not so I do things just to do them. Not so I do things so that you all know that I'm in and you're not. But I do these things in liberty, in the liberty of worship to say, Lord, help me pray. Help me to be formed into your image and likeness. I think when Jesus points out this passage from Isaiah, it's like a warning for us too, that our lips and our hearts and our actions and our worship make sure it is not simply lip service but that your hearts are far from God. Make sure it's your inner life, your heart and your mind, that through the waters of baptism and the receiving of the Eucharist, you, you've been saved and forgiven, you've been made one with Christ, that, that now this journey of becoming more like him, this journey of your heart being renovated, you walking more and more into his image and his likeness, your formation, let all of this that our tradition as Anglicans offers you, do that work in your heart. So then that out of your heart, out of your heart will be seen the fruit of a life given to Jesus. Our Old Testament text, this Song of Solomon, is this beautiful kind of typology of this relationship. And you've probably noticed it, but the thrust of the passage we read tonight is this, arise my love, my fair one, and come away, come away with me, be with me. My hope is every time you enter into this space for worship, that's what you're doing. You're responding to Jesus's call to come away. Come away with me, worship, be with me. And you're, you're given the very bread of heaven the food of eternal life in this place so that you can go into the world with Jesus. I wonder if what frustrated Jesus the most was that the Pharisees missed the point, that it was actually the disciples who had responded to come away with me, come, follow me. They were actually doing what what was most important 
they were the ones following Jesus with their hearts and with their minds, the ones who were washing their hands and the ones who weren't, the ones who were bowing or genuflecting and the ones who weren't, the ones who were crossing themselves and the ones that weren't. They were the ones whose inner lives were being formed by their following of Jesus. They were the ones who had actually stayed the course and were following Jesus. My hope and my prayer for you here at St. Bart's and for my community at Holy Trinity McKinney is that everything we do in a place like this, especially when we come to receive the Eucharist, will be a centering and orienting, a life-giving participation in the life of God so that our hearts will continue to be renewed and conformed to Jesus. May that be true of us as it was becoming true of these disciples. Amen.